Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. Welcome, everybody, um, to Inside LA Sunday Sit Long Beach. Uh, my name is Casey. So, I want to chat today um, and maybe Sorry. do some all good, do some meditations on um, form is emptiness, emptiness is form. One of the profound um, verses of the Heart Sutra which is um, one of the profound sutras of the Prajnaparamita teachings, the teachings of, of ultimate truth. And I think that in a lot of ways, this is what we're here for. Like this form is emptiness, emptiness is form. When I say what we're here for, like the spiritual path is, is kind of how, how do we bring this sense of equanimity into everyday life? How do we push and have effort and yet surrender like you know like in, in the, the tasks of life how do we how do we love and how do we let go um, how do we protest but with compassion this is dichotomy that's that's so that's happening within us last night Katie and I went out to eat and we're looking outside of a restaurant, just looking at the menu, and there's this homeless person. And it really, you know, broke my heart, and she was young, and which breaks my heart even more. And it was awesome that this staff person came out and gave her food, which was really cool. But then within me was like, how, how can I go eat? Like, how can I go and eat when there's these people that need food? Like, um... <coughs> And so there's this, there's this dichotomy within us where we want, we're trying to find this balance, but this, this kind of source, source that there's this, this ultimate goodness, and yet there's this delusionary world of relative reality. It's delusionary, but it's very real. It's a reality of this good and bad, and how do we work with that? The reification of this duality is happening moment to moment. This good and bad relative reality is being imputed on top of ultimate truth, on top of this emptiness, moment to moment. <clears throat> I think what's difficult about emptiness is that the other aspects of the practice can be felt very quickly. If we say, let's practice metta, loving kindness, practicing loving kindness, it feels good like now. Right? Five minutes of loving kindness feels good, right? If we practice shamatha, like concentration, let's focus on the breath. It takes about 12 minutes for the mind to get into an alpha state from a high beta. About 12 minutes, we can go into alpha. It's kind of a yummy, like we, it's like yummy, right? Emptiness, on the other hand, is the result. It's a, it's a fruition topic. Uh, aspect it's the fruition so we can't just say hey let's go into emptiness um, unless you can which is awesome <laughs> <laughs> unless you're there you know but it's and even then 
it's not a, it's not forced. You know, the realization of this is not forced. So this is where I think there's some traditions. The Galupa tradition of Tibetan Buddhism is really profound here. It's very amazing. Also, the Zen tradition is also the philosophical aspects of the Zen tradition. Very, very good here. Where we bring in the intellect, it's very important that we can find some kind of remedy for the eternal suffering that we all have innately arising here. That this is where just listening to the words can penetrate some aspect of that delusion. So we talk about emptiness and the aspects of emptiness that all phenomena are impermanent, interdependent, and egoless. Like empty of existing from their own side. And so those of you that have practiced for a while, these are second nature. But what's really second nature is the reification that things are permanent. Like in our, we actually think things are permanent all the time. That they're fixed, you know? Like I love to use the example of the phone. So when you look at the phone, automatically, even though we could talk about this quite a bit, the reification that this is an iPhone 6 Plus or whatever, right? Immediately as the mind hits it, it doesn't say, this is an independent, non-existing from its own side, um, <laughs> you know, empty upon arising phenomena. We don't look at it like this. You see, we reify it like an iPhone immediately. So this is where the repeti repetition and, the, and the, the philosophical, analytical, so they call it like more analytical meditation, on the emptiness, there's no thing in the thing. The emptiness of this. There's no phone in the phone. There's no car in the car. You know, everyone point to yourself. Don't you love it? <laughs> love what Bob did there. See that? He pointed to me. <laughs> right? We love this, right? So... We could say, you know, point to the bowl, everyone points to the bowl. But if we say point to ourselves, we do this, mm -hmm. which is very odd, right? Because we're not actually there. Like, if you, like, where? Is it right here? Is it right here? You know, there's no heart, heart surgeon that ever said, there you are. Like, you know, right? They open the chest and oh, there's your, like, a little you or something, <laughs> you know? Like, it's just not there. No brain surgeon has found it, right? We could look and look. You know, we feel these things, like we feel fear, but we can't find the eye that we're supposed to protect. Like, where's the eye that we're protecting? Right? We can't find it. But it's the actual looking, enough looking that we can't find it. We're resting in that which cannot be found. See, it's the looking that brings us to this place. So I want to read us some some um, teachings and what's cool about I think these types of teaching is to hear it from different sources because it becomes a sort of reality and even if it's in concept which is fine relative and ultimate truths so relative and ultimate bodhicitta relative and ultimate prajnaparamita of this understanding so as I read these words 
some of them are kind of will land for you and maybe some other ones will land for others but it's important I think to just kind of allow this to filter in so it becomes a way of being just like every other concept that we have that this is another concept the first one that I'm going to read is just kind of um, again it's this interesting perspective I don't know who this person is Harold Percival this book is written in the 50s at some point and I'm very ashamed to tell you how I have this book I'm very ashamed to tell you how I have this book. I really am. It's a karmic thing. I was in I was in junior college and I looked in this book. The last printing was 1971 and I looked and I said, nobody's really checked this thing out in forever. So you checked it out. So I checked it out and I forgot to bring it back. <laughs> I really am. It was written in 1946. But hopefully, maybe by sharing this, I will undo a little bit of the karma. <laughs> well, I don't know. From November of 1892, I passed through astonishing and crucial experiencing, follow which, following which, in the spring of 1893, there occurred the most extraordinary event of my life. I had crossed 14th Street at 4th Avenue in New York City. Cars and people were hurrying by. While stepping up to the northeast corner curbstone, light, greater than that of myriads of suns, opened in the center of my head. In that instant or point, eternities were apprehended. There was no time. Distance and dimensions were not in evidence. Nature was composed of units. I was conscious of the units of nature and of units as intelligences. Within and beyond, so to say, there were greater and lesser lights, the greater pervading the lesser lights, which revealed the different kinds of units. The lights were not of nature, the lights were as intelligences, conscious lights. Compared to the brightness or lightness of those lights, the surrounding sunlight was a dense fog. And in and through all lights and units and objects, I was conscious of the presence of consciousness. I was conscious of consciousness as the ultimate and absolute reality, and conscious of the relation of things. I experienced no thrills, emotions, or ecstasy. Words fell utterly to describe or explain consciousness. It would be futile to attempt the description of the sublime grandeur and power and order and relation and poise of what I was then conscious. Twice, during the next 14 years for a long time on each occasion, I was conscious of consciousness. But during that time, I was conscious of no more than I had been conscious of in that first moment. So I was just talking to a friend who had a very, very similar experience where she was simply driving down the 405 
and everything turns into units of light, almost exactly like that story. But what's most interesting about that is that she said she never felt safety like that in her entire life. That being that everything was this light, including her body, everything, that she thought if there was to be an accident or something like this, there was nothing to be harmed. Nothing could be harmed. It was just nothing to be... Um, there was no self to be injured. And in that light, all of the connectedness was there. Mm. You know, there was just no separateness. But things were, like, there was, there was shapes within the light. Definitely shapes that she could see, you know, car, whatever. She was still driving. <laughs> it was very odd. But that's the second person that I've met that this has happened to while driving. Um, yeah, she saw, said like three mantras and then all of a sudden while driving. Maybe don't do mantra while driving. <laughs> mm. But um, yeah, the commonality of all these, I tried to pick from different sources to have some common, some common stories from different sources. I'm going to leave this one. So this is from the yogic tradition, one of my favorites, Yogi uh, Ramachakra. This is early 1900s, 1904, in the Yogi Publication Society. I think Christian just shared with me another book from this publication society, which is this really awesome publisher at the time. It's so funny. Who's heard of The Secret? Everyone. Just really funny, right? Like, it's not been a secret very long. I love this because this is 1904, right? Thoughts are things. Mm. 1904. <laughs> it's been around for a while, the secret. Yeah. No secret, secret. Yeah, the open secret. For this is the truth that in each and all of us is to be found a particle of the absolute itself, unconditioned and unlimited, and that the real self of each of us is the real self of all, the spirit, the Atman, the drop from the ocean of the absolute, the ray of the sun of the absolute, the particle of the sacred flame. This spirit being the absolute, of course, knows the absolute and its mysteries and the secrets. And when we fi finally enter into the consciousness of that spirit, we shall then know all. For we shall be at one with the Absolute, at union with God. This is one of the highest teachings of the yogi philosophy. So I spoke a couple weeks ago on Tantrayana, like the Tantric path, the sutras and the, and the Tantric path. And this is the philosoph philosophical aspect of the Tantric path, that we already are what we're seeking that we are this aspect of the ultimate truth. Krishna also gave me my new favorite translation of the Bhagavad Gita. Sai Baba has an awesome one. Um, so I want to read from that. I will tell you of the wisdom that leads to immortality. The be beginningless Brahman, which can be called either being or non-being, it dwells in all, in every hand and foot, 
and head and every mouth and eye and ear in the universe. Without senses itself, it shines through the functioning of the senses. Completely independent, it supports all things. It is both near and far, both within and without every creature. It moves and is unmoving. In its subtlety, it is beyond comprehension. It is indivisible, yet appears divided in separate creatures. Know it to be the creator, the preserver, and the destroyer. Dwelling in every heart, it is beyond darkness. It is called the light of lights, the object and goal of knowledge and knowledge itself. I have revealed to you the nature of the field and the meaning and object of true knowledge. Byron Katie, how many of you know the story of Byron Katie? Really refreshing. So we get these from different sources. This is important, right? That we get it from different sources and we hear the same thing from saints and sages of all times, all religions, and those that are not saints and sages. You know, here Byron Katie was suicidal. She was... Um, forget exactly her work and when you could if you remember the work that she did but she was kind of having a high-powered job and whatnot family completely not religious spiritual esoteric in any way whatsoever checked herself into um, inpatient care facility and I think it was mostly for weight loss and she felt so unworthy of existing that she went up to the wanted to sleep kind of in some like an attic type of room where there was cockroaches and all this stuff, and she slept on the floor. And when she awoke from that night, she awoke enlightened, which she didn't know what that was. She just awoke in this new state, you know? And she had no idea. Again, she wasn't a meditator, wasn't anything. In fact, people would come, they heard about her, so people would come to speak with her, and they would leave, and they would say, Namaste, Namaste. And she didn't know what that meant. They, she thought they were saying, no mistake. No mistake. <laughs> and she thought, man, they got it. They really got it. There's no mistake. Oh. No mistake. No mistake. <laughs> <laughs> so this is her translation of the Tao Te Ching. Um, her husband's a translator. And so he was reading it one night. And she started doing a commentary on it. And so he recorded it, and this is her commentary on it. This is amazing. This is her commentary on the Tao Te Ching phrase, the verse, She holds nothing back from life, therefore she is ready for death. Reality is the always stable, never disappointing base of experience. When I look at what really is, I can't find me. As I have no identity, there is no one to resist death. Death is everything that has ever been dreamed, including the dream of myself. So at every moment I die of what has been, and I'm continually born as awareness in the moment, and I die of that, and I'm born again and again. The thought of death excites me. 
everyone loves a good novel and looks forward to how it will end. It's not personal. After the death of the body, what identification will my mind take on? The dream is over. I was absolute perfection. I could not have had a better life. And whatever I am is being born in this moment as everything good that has ever lived. I know that there is never anything to lose, so it's easy for me to hold nothing back from life. And because I give everything I have, my life is complete in every moment. There is never anything undone. There is no moment in my life when I'm not complete. And that's how we all look at death, right? <laughs> it's good. See, it penetrates a little bit at a time. You know, these realities. The great Swami Vivekananda, living at the source. Time, so I want to do a little meditation. There is but one, seen by the ignorant as matter, by the wise as God. There is but one infinite being in the universe, and that being appears as you and I. But this appearance of division is, after all, a delusion, it has never been divided but only appears to be divided. This apparent division is caused by looking at him through the network of time, space, and causation. When I look at God through the network of time, space, and causation, I see him as the material world. When I look at him from a little higher plane, yet through the same network, I see him as an animal, a little higher as a man, a little higher as a god, but yet he is the one that, that one infinite being of the universe that being that we are. I am that. You are that. Not parts of it, but the whole of it. The one becomes many. We see the one. Any limitations reflect through Maya disappear. But it is quite true that the manifold is not the valueless. It is through the many that we reach the one. Okay, so hopefully I'm not boring you. Okay, so one more and then we're going to do a meditation, actually guided through into, into non-self. Um, so this is a great Shantideva, the way of the Bodhisattva, one of the most prolific works in the Mahayana tradition in Tibetan Buddhism. Um... So when we listen to like something like this, which is a little bit more vague, um, it's good not to listen with the ears so much, you know? Just listen more with the entirety of your being. So more with um, not so much the ears, not so much the mind, but more of just the beingness. Let it land deeper than, than the concept, the conceptual realm. 
even though a hundred million causes, no change takes place in non-existent things. For in that state of non-thing, how could thing occur? And into what could non-existent things transform? Since things cannot become when they are non-existent, when could such existent things occur? For insofar as entities do not arise, non-entities themselves will not depart. And if non-entity is not dispersed, no chance is there for entity to manifest. An entity cannot be changed into non-entity, for otherwise it has devil nature. Thus there are no entities, and likewise there is no ceasing of the same. And therefore beings, each and every one, are without origin and never cease. Wandering beings thus resemble dreams, and also the banana tree, if you examine well. In ultimate reality, there's no distinguishing, distinguishing between the states of sorrow, sorrow and beyond all sorrow. When things that in this way are empty, what is there to gain and what is there to lose? Who is there to pay me court and honors? And who is there to scorn and to revel me? Pleasure, sorrow, whence do they arise? What is there to give me joy and pain? And if I search their very suchness, who is craving? What is being craved? So now we're going to move into a meditation. And this meditation comes from this great kind of new age at the time. They call it like new science or this um, it's like Christian mysticism of the 50s, which I really loved. Florence Shovel Shin was one of them. Um, kind of moved into the self-help movement with Augmentino and all that. So U.S. Anderson was one of the writers of the time. And I'm going to read you. And as I read, just kind of allow yourself to be guided into the recognition of this within yourself. I know that I am pure spirit, deathless, birthless, changeless, and eternal. I am not my body. I am not my conscious mind. I am not ego. 
I am sense of self only. Consciousness. Awareness. Beingness. The presence that animates all life is within me. It is altogether the real me. I am using my body for a purpose as an expression of an idea. And when the idea is fully expressed through my work and my mission, I shall return again to unity with the universal self, leaving body and ego behind. I do not confuse my body and ego with what I truly am. My body is simply an instrument for my expression, my ego simply a memory of physical experience. Returning to infinity and unity, I shall need neither body nor ego. I am free of the domination of ego. It is not my true self. It is simply an illusion necessary to perceive space and time. Instead, I turn inward into the depths of my being, to the immortal consciousness that lies within. I am calm. I am serene. I am sure and unfaltering, for my roots are in eternity. All the things of life shall change and pass away, 
but I shall never pass away. For wherever life is, I shall be one with universal mind. I need not strive or strain to attain immortality, nor fear punishment, nor aspire for reward. The kingdom of heaven awaits all, the wise, the foolish, the sinner, the saint, for we are all one in reality, clothed in different forms in this moment of incarnation. I perceive self in self. I see the majesty, the immortality of the power that dwells within. group today um, I think we could still maybe share if we keep in maybe maybe just um, maybe just to be just the person next to you and kind of share how that was for you so what what came up in discussion there anyone like to share with the larger group what came up yeah. so one of the first things I thought of when you were reading is um, my, my kids are younger. Um, we were talking recently about the universe and the size of the universe. And whenever I hear definitions of how to perceive of the size of the universe and the never-ending universe, you know, it's like, oh, amazing. And they had some more quotes that 
parent at school that they're telling me. So just reminded me of that. Yeah. Thank you. What you were reading reminded me of Hung Po, Zen Master Hung Po, Zen Master, he said the absolute is like quicksilver, and when it's dispersed, it forms perfect holes in each individual, and when it comes back together, it's once again one single hole. So this absolute is within all of us, you know, all in one and one in all. For me, an easy way to, an easier way to try to come to grips with how could we be separate and one at the same time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah. I am that I am. It's a game to me. Mm -hmm. I am that I am. Mm -hmm. Bye -bye. <laughs> Some Popeye fans over here. Popeye, yeah, yeah. Popeye. <laughs> you know, one of my teachers used to say, like, I am that I am. I am, like, in duality. I am that. I am thatness. I'm unmanifest. I am the other side of duality. So I am that I am. The thatness goes through both, you know, the duality aspects of separateness, of interconnectedness, all that stuff. I am that I am. We can meditate more if you want. That's nice guy. Yeah? You know if there's anything else? Anthony? I, I really appreciate your you know, citing all those different sources. Uh, that was really wonderful to hear, like in different voices, saying the same thing. Oh, uh, yeah. There's some Christian mystics who do the same thing. They talk about union with the Godhead. Uh, D.T. Yeah. Suzuki wrote a book on, uh, com you know, comparing the experiences of Christian mystics to Zen Buddhists, and it was, was kind of interesting. Uh, there's some really good ones. I mentioned Florence Silverstein's a good one. There's a book called Ye Are Gods. That's if you're into the, the Christian mysticism, is really amazing. Um, but, um, that's what I, lo I love about this is if, if you di dive deep, it's it's everywhere, you know. Um, but again, it, it's very hard in day to day. Like say, okay, imagine you know mindfulness, and you're like mindfulness or compassion or um, generosity, patience. You know the Brahma Viharas and all, all these different things are easier to 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 come into mind because there's a tangible thread there. There's really no tangible thread here other than dharma, which, which is all, all phenomena. There's the definition of dharma being all phenomena. All phenomena traces back to emptiness. And yet, in, in, in that being so universal, we have a really hard time seeing past the grosser aspects of it. You know? So it takes a little bit more to get in and of course if we just rest in awareness so this that they talked about like I am just awareness I'm just consciousness so you know, like one of the definitions of Zogchen or Mahamudra is just don't meditate but don't get don't be distracted you know so you're just resting in non-meditation meditation where there's non-meditation there's nobody meditating you know? 
But then, again, this too is a bit subtle. It's very hard to say, well, what's that? What's that mean? <laughs> it's so simple, it's very hard, because we love to complicate it. Um, so this is, you know, this is where like the reading and the more philosophical aspects are actually very beneficial. Even to get a conceptual idea of it is good. And then when we meditate, we have, you know, the, the faith. We don't talk about faith a lot in Buddhism. It's not a big, the faith isn't a big word, but if you notice, one of the, the hindrances that are, is the worst hindrance, they could say, out of, out of the five hindrances is doubt. Doubt is the worst hindrance. So what's the opposite of doubt? Faith. So Buddha loved that stuff. So when everyone was saying oneness, he said emptiness. When someone said faith, he'll say doubt. You know, he, but you know, it's just a different, different way of looking at it. It's like I was talking to Margaret, and I was saying like I. You can't intellectually, I mean, or you can intellectually understand, but it's hard to understand the things that you were talking about, like in your body or in your heart. But it's like if you can intellectually and trust, then it's like that kind of helps you be have equanimity because mm -hmm. you kind of intellectually know that that's that the truth is that that we're all one. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I also think like we can intellectually look. Does that make sense? Like we can intellectually that that are like don't throw the baby out with the bathwater with the mind and the ego. Like that's what gets us to the cushion. All this knowledge gets us to the cushion, and gets us looking. It gets us letting be, and then there could be an experiential taste. Like all that gets thrown out at the end, but that doesn't mean we need it to get us there. Sure. We were talking about death dying and uh, this hit home to me as well um, so I find refuge in the Dharma in that I don't believe that our consciousness disappears that we just become part of the universal consciousness mm -hmm. and uh, as I get older and I'm approaching death is coming closer and closer to me mm -hmm. um, it seems less fearful Mm -hmm. For me, not that there isn't some fear and a little bit of doubt about that, but I, mm -hmm. but it's it, it lessens as I delve more into the spiritual world. Thank you. <clears throat> well, that was one of the readings that kind of touched me a lot. Where it talked about like when you live fully every day, like that, like you're ready to die every day because you've mm. done, you know, you just did it at all you know and I'm reading this book right now and it's called S S Swedish Death Cleaning mm. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> That's awesome. and it really just talks about it's not so much preparing for death but just sort of like not clinging to your past mm -hmm. so just being willing to not leave a bunch of stuff around for somebody else to deal with which is kind of like like really acknowledging when something is complete and not really hanging on to it. It's just sort of like, all right, this, this was a thing that, you know, I love my kid's rocking horse, or this book was amazing and it really served me, but, you know, mm -hmm. do I, can I still have what that experience gave to me without cleaning off this possession? Mm -hmm. Can I just 
use this beautiful casserole dish that fed my family for a long time and make something yummy and give it to you. Mm -hmm. so that's, you know what I mean? So I just mm -hmm. felt like, mm -hmm. hard to explain how it connects to all this to me, but just living fully every day is to me the only way to, it just hit me as the only way to be ready to be complete with life, you know? reading out of my path, my path of work and going through creativity, which is challenging because uh, sometimes I wonder if it's the right thing for me to do in terms of how I'm going to take care of my needs, but it's the one that makes me feel like I'm doing right, what I'm supposed to be here for. So, um, that's, you know, the whole premise of coming in from the, you know, collective and, and some sort of mission, you know, that we're here for. Yeah. Makes it, you know, connects in that way. Thank you. You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.